Think about love. This is not just a Valentine's banquet discussion. We need to find out why we all hunger for an all-encompassing love. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, starts us out today by talking about a feature article that came out on this subject in Time magazine. See what you think of their deductions about the causes of love. Valentine's Day is about true love. In fact, love is so important that Time magazine, you know, Time is about the chemistry of love. And the, the subheading is, scientists are discovering that romance is a biological affair. Now, as I open this article, and I'm going to read about the latest discoveries about true love, and I begin to read the Time Magazine article, and I read some statements like this. When mankind graduated from scuttling around on all fours to walking on two legs, this change made the whole person visible to fellow human beings for the first time. And true love was generated from that walking around on two legs. A Little bit further, romance served the evolutionary purpose of pulling males and females into long-term partnerships, which was essential to child rearing. On open grasslands, one parent would have a hard and dangerous time handling a child while foraging for food. If a woman was carrying the equivalent of a 20-pound bowling ball in one arm and a pile of sticks in the other, it was ecologically critical to pair up with a mate to rear the young, explains anthropologist Helen Fisher, author of The Anatomy of Love. Nature apparently meant for, for passions to sputter and in something like four years to come to an end. Primitive pairs stayed together just long enough to rear one child, the, through infancy. Then each would find a new partner and start all over again. Fisher goes on to explain, hence those who sneaked into the bushes. A little bit further in the article it says, those who sneaked into the bushes with secret lovers lived on, unconsciously passing on through the centuries whatever it is in the female spirit that primates modern women, that moves primates and modern men and women to philander. The article goes on and talks about and moves away from the fact of reminding us of our past when we used to crawl around on all fours and now we stand together. The second part of the article goes on and says that love is not only a question of our ancient primitive animal nature, but it's also just a question of chemicals. In other words, when we talk about falling in love, we speak about being just, just totally taken away. I mean, it just, just blows us into another atmosphere. And time explains to us that the reason for that is that when you fall in love, you are just flooded with chemicals. And those chemicals are just nature's tremendous, exhilarating drug for you. The article goes on to explain that the drugs only work for about three years. You see, as you're falling in love and you go through that honeymoon and you're living together, the chemicals work for about three years and they keep flooding your system, but after three years it wears off. And that explains why after three years, you know, a lot of marriages come to an end because the chemicals wear off. Goes on to talk about another chemical that comes into our system and it's kind of a sedative. It kind of leads to security and kind of leads to a long-lasting relationship. And if those chemicals work, everything will be fine. Well, I had to laugh because only modern America and only the scientific community could try to explain 
What happens in a wife's eyes when her husband tells her from the depths of his being that he loves her? Only science would explain that in terms of transitions from walking on all fours to standing upright and all of just a bag of chemical tricks. But they cut, the Time Magazine article ended with something very interesting. After going through all this explanation, all the anthropological, all the evolutionary explanations of love, all the chemical changes that take place in our bodies, it ended, not on our Bibles, but in the body. It said this at the end of the article, in our deepest hearts, most of us harbor the hope that love will never fully yield up its secrets, that, w that it will always elude our grasp. In other words, the Time Magazine article says that it longs for the reality that possibly Valentine's love is not just a bag of chemicals. It's not just primate mating behavior, but there's something beyond. And I ask the question, why? Why do we long so much for there to be something that's beyond? And it's that quest, it's that desire, it's the fact that articles can be written, it's the fact that we can even study sexual behavior and romantic behavior, it's that property in us that lifts us completely and separates us from the animal kingdom forever because we're made in the image of God. You see, as we talk about thou shalt not commit adultery, all of us deep in our soul knows that no matter what time might say, about four years and then the, we need to move on to another partner, there's something deep inside of us that hungers for faithfulness, that hungers for dependability, that hungers for true love. What is that? It's the fact that we've been made in the image of God. And yet the Bible does talk to us about a time when people will think of themselves as animals and they'll focus on the animals and they'll focus on their glands. They'll focus on the chemicals that their body puts out. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 for the Word of God's analysis concerning all this stuff of love equals just a bag of chemicals and primate mating behavior. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 says this, although they claim to be wise, although they claim to be progressive, although they claim to be modern, although they claim to be the ones who are really in the know, they became fools. How did this take place? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. In other words, they exchanged the incredible biblical revelation that every one of you is distinct and forever separated in your personality from just another ape. It says they would exchange that reality that you are made in the image of God, therefore expressing the glory of the immortal God. You would exchange that for images. Mankind would exchange the worship and the focus on the true God to just worship images. And what would these images be like? They would be like mortal man. They would be like birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, men, there would come a time as men began to congregate together and as they, they worshipped, this worship would become false and they would begin to focus. Instead of focusing on the true God, they would focus on the animal kingdom. And they would begin to think that that's all there is and just live for now because you see, what you believe is ultimately there is who you worship. How you think we got here, what you think caused that, what you think brought it into reality, that's the worship system that you're following. 
And Time Magazine is simply applying one of the dominant myths, one of the dominant stories of how mankind got here. Time is being serious. They're very, very serious that man used to just be a protozoa. That man developed up through a tree shrew. That those tree shrews finally climbed down. One branch took off towards the modern ape. The other branch took, took off towards you. They're very serious about applying that evolutionary, slow-developing change, which makes no distinction between you and the animals. You're just a little bit more complicated. Time applies that to romance. It applies it to love. And I want you to think about whether you believe in your own life that that's the myth. You see, modern science doesn't want to admit that they have a myth, but they do. They're just as religious as we are. You try to just bring up some contrary evidence. Try to enter into just a scientific debate about it. As we found out when we studied Darwin on trial, when a Berkeley professor just called into question some of the dominant philosophical assumptions that are made under the dominant scientific myth of creation, everybody gets really upset. Why? Because it's about religion. You see, man can't get away from religion. This article is filled with religion, just like Adam and Eve. But you have to decide what you're going to follow, what story you're going to be guided by. And what I want you to see is that in the modern world, there's some tremendously strong, different approaches to how you got here and who you are, and therefore the way you should relate together as a man and a woman. And time is being very serious in saying that you can explain it all by the development through the ages of primate relationships together between the sexes. And as the article underneath, as you begin to study it, it justifies not staying in a marriage very long. After, if the chemicals wear off after three years, why not try another, another shot in the arm? He even talks about those among our population that will do so. The article goes on and says, though it serves no evolutionary purpose, homosexuals are also romantically attracted to one another. And it says, well, that's just a little anomaly along the evolutionary path. And I want you to see how this myth, this idea that you're just an animal begins to influence culturally and socially the way we relate together in the sexes. Romans is making it very clear that there would come a day when man, instead of believing that he was uniquely, that she was uniquely made in the image of God, they would begin to focus on the beasts. They would begin to focus on the beasts. And when you do that, and you think that's all there is, then you begin to act like beasts. And all the things that we cherish as human beings, faithfulness, truth, love, dependability, enduring, love, it all is changing to something else. And something very tragic is lost. The scripture goes on and says this in verse 24. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and, and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. And it goes on and highlights and underscores the flowing sinfulness that gushes out when instead of focusing on the true God, we begin to focus on man just as an animal, man just as a bag of chemicals. The vast majority of you are God's children. In the midst of this atmosphere, I want you to feel this tremendous ideological, this tremendous origin, this tremendous conflict that's taking place in our society today. And I want you to realize that there's, there's tremendous differences in the way that these stories lead, where they go in life. And what we're trying to do in our own gathering together of God's people is we're trying to return to the foundations of God's wise design. We're looking at the Ten Commandments as a skillful blueprint that really gives us insight into how we should live. We talked the last time we were together how thou shalt not commit adultery is a precious loving gift that guards something that every one of you really want to have. And I want you to see how the modern myth that you're just an animal, that you're just a bag of chemicals, takes away that motivation, that reason to be true, that reason to control the passions that those chemicals are generating. The Bible says to you, you're more than that. You're not just a physical being. Yes, I agree. You are like apes in many ways physically. After all, the same creator designed the whole package. All the animal kingdom comes from him. It's the expression of his skillful design. Sin has marred it. Sin has put some messed up things in the animal kingdom and in the physical universe, but you can still see the, the thumbprint and the fingerprint of a great master artist. And you're the ultimate expression of that artist. You're the one that reflects him on planet Earth. The Bible comes to you and says, don't forget it. You're not just an animal. Don't focus on that kingdom. Focus on the eternal kingdom. Focus on God. And therefore, your loving daddy comes to you and says, I want you to be enduring. I want your relationships to last much longer than four years. You're not just caught in an instinctual chemical cycle. You can decide. You can choose. You can love. And all the things that Valentine's Day is about, it's not about chemicals. It's not about a time four you know, million years ago, whenever it was, when man went from walking on all fours to standing upright. That's not what Valentine's is about. Valentine's is about people that deep in their souls yearn for love. They, they yearn for someone that's going to be there in the morning. They yearn for someone that will tell them the truth. They yearn for companionship. They yearn for someone that will take away their loneliness. They yearn for love. Now, the neat thing about God's word is it doesn't just shout at us and say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because, you know, all this talk about just saying no, which is what the command, thou shalt, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's another just say no kind of a law. And what I want you to realize about just say no kind of laws if you ever tell a human being, especially since the fall of man, if you tell a human being, just say no, deep in their souls, they really want to say no. They cry from the depth of their being, I want to say no. Their conscience says, yes, I know I, sh I, I should say no. But you know what? They can't. In fact, if you tell someone not to do something, like when God tells us not to commit adultery, among human beings today, it creates a tremendous scintillating excitement to committing adultery. 
The New York Times, when I was up in New York, the last time I was up there, the, the new, or I think it must have been the Daily News. The New York Times probably wouldn't advertise like this. But the Daily News or one of the papers up there had a full-page ad, and it was just a dark piece of paper. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. And it was right on the seat next to me in the airplane. And you know what? It just riveted my attention. I mean, that, here we had old King James English. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. And it was a dark page. And then they had the silhouette of a woman, a knockout beautiful woman. Now, in our fallen nature, that is incredibly tintillating. And it's guaranteed to be a big hit. Everyone's going to want to sneak away to see, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. What could be a more exciting story? You see, that's what law does to us. See, we all sit in our schools and we sit in our churches and it can even be in our big public gatherings. Boy, we want to be moral people. But underneath that just say no, thou shalt not commit adultery, it just makes it all the more exciting to be able to sneak into the bushes and do it. That's what Paul said is the law brings sin to life inside of us in Romans 7. It just causes us to that terrible evil that's within us just rises up and it slays us. So you say, all right, David, if the command's not going to do it. Now, we need God's command. He's given it to us. But you say, David, if that command is not going to give us the power to overcome our illicit desires and what is. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about what will overcome the illicit passions within is what we concluded with the last time we were together when we talked about the only answer to illicit lust is true love. Now, poets and, and romantic novelists and everyone have been asking the question, of what is love? And what I found fascinating in the Time Magazine article is their definition of love. The article starts out saying, what is love? And it has all different punctuations for Cole Porter's question. Now, what is love? And that's what the article's supposed to be about. But you know what the article's about? It's about sex. That's what the article's about. It's really about sex, and it's about the drives that make people have sex. And I thought that was very interesting. Here's Time magazine. Their lead story, the whole thing, is going to be about this heart and about a man and a woman that are going to be romantically involved, and yet the whole article is about sex. And that gives you a lot of insight into the way that our culture defines true love. True love equals S-E-X. And we tell our young people, in other words, if you, if you mention to young people, we want to talk today about love. Oh, God, they go, oh, no, no, another one of these birds and the bees lectures. Here we go. Especially if mom and dad initiate the conversation. You know, mom and dad get so bent out of shape anyway, they turn red and dad begins to stutter and the whole thing is a disaster. You're going to talk about love? It means you're going to talk about sex. Why? Because in our culture, love equals sex. As soon as a man or woman, it starts in our, in, in our society now, it starts way back in grammar school. It starts even sometime before the glands even get going in our culture. It's so strong. And the parents even relive all the glory days of yesteryear by pushing their kids to male-female relationships. Sometimes even before they've even started looking. Why? Because our culture says love equals sex. And sex not only sells automobiles and clothes and everything else, 
But sex is the meaning of life. We worship it. Now, God's word comes into this tremendous distortion because love doesn't equal sex. And when all of relationships between men and women are always viewed sexually, then we lose something really priceless. You see, what we need to understand is if we're going to be able to overcome adultery, then we need to find the definition of true love. Now, the Bible really speaks about three big circles of true love, and they're one with another, and they're progressively smaller. It begins with a great big circle that we just had read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's go there and let's talk first of all about how do you define true love. Well, the Bible never does define it because love is intrinsic to the character of God and God is infinite and God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's also the ultimate unknowing one. In other words, we can never totally figure him out. So probably for all of eternity, we will never, never, never be able to totally know what love is. I don't think we'll ever be able to answer absolutely and definitively, this is love. We're not going to ever be able to look in a dictionary, love, and have a totally, totally encompassing definition. Now what I like about the Word of God is, love the Bible works with love. It doesn't give us some abstract is, stative definition. Love is. What Paul does in Romans 13 is he writes the epitome of literature about love. And what he does is he tells us this is the way that love acts. He says this is the way love acts. When you see these kind of actions, then you can know that you're in the orbit, you're in the circle of love. Look what he says. He says, love acts patiently. As you find in a relationship with someone else, you find that as you begin to get involved with somebody else, you begin to know them, when you find that there's patient actions that flow, then you know you're in the circle of love. For example, if you, you, know, you begin to be attracted to a woman, and uh, she had a little bit of trouble, say, in, in history. We won't use the classic male chauvinistic idea that she can't do math. She had a little trouble in history, okay? And it happens to be that this guy is really good in history. So the guy begins to work with a girl. I could even change it around. The girl works with a guy. He has a lot of trouble in history, okay? And he finds, or she finds, that they're able to be really patient. They find that they really act patiently. They're able to put up with all those routines of teaching. Then they're in the circle of love because that's the way love acts. Love acts patiently. It goes on and says that love acts in kindness. Love is kind. Love wants to just, it just kind of bubbles in actions of being kind, of thinking of the other person before yourself, of doing little things that are kind. When those thoughts come into your mind, I ought to say something or I ought to do something, love is kind. Like when you men, you know, you got a little twinge and some of you were moved in your heart, your little heart said, you know, boy, that would mean something to my wife. There's another little voice that says, ah, oh, that would be so stupid. After all, it's a waste of money. Man alive, you need to be practical about life and there's bills to pay. But some of you overcame all of that and you said, you know, it would be kind. 
it would bring some joy. And love acts kindly. If you acted like that and you chose to act upon it, then you're in the orbit of love because that's the way love is. Love acts kindly. Love is able to overcome that inertia. And it's an inertia that, that all of us feel that we want to not do the kind thing. We want to not say the kind thing. And agape, self-sacrificial love acts kindly. Love does not envy. Love, this kind of love, is not jealous. Now, it has a holy jealousy for what rightfully belongs to us, but it's not envious. In other words, it doesn't have this controlling kind of a passion. For example, if, if some of the young people fall in love with one another and maybe a guy feels that he's relating to this girl and then he starts to be real possessive and he won't let her go anywhere and man alive, he just climbs all over her just because another guy talked to her in English. That's jealousy. It's envy. And what it really is about is insecurity. It's not about true love. Now, with time and with growth, we could grow out of that, but it's very important to understand that all that attention... All that focus, all that intensity of passion, when it's jealous before the time of total commitment, then it's really not true love. It's really about self, and it's really about insecurity, and it's really about a personal need. It's not true love. Because self-sacrificial love doesn't envy. True love is able to share. True love rejoices when somebody else succeeds or when someone else is able to get ahead. And when we have those actions expressed in our life, we know we're in the circle of true love. Love is not proud. Love is not proud. In other words, true love is not about the masculine thing in me that feels that if I'm able to go into a certain situation with a beautiful woman that's with me, and everyone goes, wow, you know, he must really be an important person. Look who he was able to marry. That's not about true love. Now, God does emphasize physical beauty, and, and God does in Song of Solomon write a whole sonnet, a love sonnet for that, a whole series of love poems about beauty and such a relationship. But love just isn't a male ego trip that says, wow, I was able to get a beautiful trophy. I mean, guys talk about their deer like that, that deer they hang up on the wall. That's not the solidity. That's not the basic foundation of true love. True love doesn't boast. It's not a male ego trip or a, or a female ego trip about your catch. So whenever you find yourself thinking of male-female relationship in terms of hunting, in terms of catching, in terms of getting, and think of all the terminology we use to express all that kind of idea, it's about pride. It's not about love. It's about insecurity and pride that's in our heart. And Paul comes with it and says, when you find yourself not acting like that, able to be humble, when you find yourself acting out humility, then you're in the circle of love. Be sure to join us again next week as Dave concludes this discussion entitled, True Love Prevents Immorality.